Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, coming to you from New York and Retail's big show, NRF 2023. Coming up on this episode. The reality is when you stay close to your consumer, you understand where they're spending their time. And it's on social and it's a handful of other places, but... Um, we really do try and think about how we authentically show up in these places and these platforms where they're naturally spending a lot of their time. You have to understand the platform you're using and why you're using it and what you're trying to do by being in that space. I think marketing in general as a marketer, you know, one of the things that not keeps me up at night, but you're constantly thinking about is the options and the places where your consumer is spending their time continues to grow and grow and grow. So, you know, maybe years and years ago you had a handful of magazines or a handful of channels um, to put your advertising message. Now you have, you know, streaming services and tons of platforms and digital properties um, and strategies to reach your consumer at the point where Um, They're going to do what you are wanting them to do in that moment. Ultimately, we have some pretty hefty goals to decrease our climate footprint by 2030. Um, And it takes the full value chain. So starting with product, and then we're talking about, of course, global transport. We want to cut that footprint in half by 2030. Then when we look at our actual store units, 90% of our units are um, solar, have solar panels on the on the roof of the units and that will become 100% of course. And then then it's, you know, final mile. It's in everything we do. It's not like we have a sustainability department that sits over on the side. We have a sustainability department, but in many ways they're the ones that are kind of bringing in the new and they're kind of a checks and balances, but it's in everything we do. We're back with our final episode of Highlights from the Javits Centre New York at NRF Big Show 2023, where retail leaders and some of the industry's most pioneering vendors discuss, debate and present the key topics that provide a glimpse into what the future of retail might look like. In this episode, we pick our way through more highlights from NRF 2023 in what has been a frantically busy three days here in New York City. We're talking everything from e-commerce, data and payments to fulfillment automation, supply chain challenges, retail design, sustainability and most importantly the changing nature of customer behaviour. Global powerhouse IKEA is on a well-documented journey to becoming a fully circular company by 2030. A key part of its strategy is a focus on resale. It's clearly ecologically beneficial But what's the secret to doing resale right at the store level? And what approaches can help to increase foot traffic and boost customer loyalty? Attendees of the stage talks at NRF 23 were treated to a feature session and the chance to explore learnings from IKEA about their in-store resale experience. Shauna Strawn, Head of Retail Design and Home Furnishing Identity at IKEA US, explained all. It's actually what we call sustainable, sustainability, which circularity is a part of it, right? But ultimately, we have some pretty hefty goals to decrease our climate footprint by 2030. Um, And it takes the full value chain. So starting with product, and then we're talking about, of course, global transport. We want to cut that footprint in half 
by 2030. Then when we look at our actual store units, 90% of our units are um, solar, have solar panels on the, on the roof of the units and that will become 100% of course. And then, then it's you know final mile. And I think when you asked about the circularity, that's the key part for us. So we've had what we call, you know, as is, but basically it's a resale area within all of our stores for many years. And it does start back with our founder, Ingvar Kamprad. So it's interesting, the way that he really, well, first of all, he started at a very young age selling pens and matchbooks and found a way for, because there was a place in rural Sweden where you would go and pick up your milk, so it wouldn't go door to door. So he used that actually as a space where he would then transfer what his customers bought so they could pick that up also. So he's always been really innovative from a very young age. But how he got into furniture is that he noticed that Scandinavian modern furniture was actually had a huge markup, which he didn't find was fair. Like it didn't make sense, right? So he was purchasing the same product, but he was selling it for less. Then he got started getting kicked out of trade shows and he said, well, then I'll manufacture it myself. And he started his first manufacturing in, in Poland and this was kind of the beginning, the beginning of IKEA. And But from the very beginning, it was around responsibly forested wood and again, just the right thing to do. But what we've um, recently brought in is a, a new program called Buyback and Resell. It started in June of last year and it's where basically online we give our customers quotes on their product. They bring it to, into our stores, we buy it from them, we do some minor refurbishment and we resell it. When you do the resell, you of course are going to get a 40% to 60% decrease in cost. So I think the entry point first is lower price. We know that that tends to be a really high driver for customers when they're looking for home furnishings. And we're an affordable retail, but we're even providing even lower costs. But then while they're there for that motivation, it's our responsibility to share that there's other good reasons to do that. I mean, we're an early adopter. So it definitely started because that's just the right thing to do. You know, we are the largest home furnishing company in the world. It is our responsibility to have FSE certified forestry, which we do. It is our responsibility to bring our furniture back into the into circularity. That's our responsibility, so that's where it starts. Now, of course, it's becoming more and more dire, but we've already been doing it for a really long time. How you meet the customer with it, that's what starts to vary. You know, you want to resonate with them in the way that you're speaking their language. That's why I talk a little bit about affordability and the price aspect of resale. Good news is we are driving our business. You know, a lot of people think you can't do it. In 2019, we reduced our climate footprint by 4.3%, while at the same time growing our business by 6.5%. Right. So it can be done. Yeah. It just takes a lot of front end and back end work. You have to be committed. You have to be committed. But it's in everything we do. It's not like we have a sustainability department that sits over on the side. We have a sustainability department, but in many ways, they're the ones that are kind of bringing in the new and they're kind of a checks and balances, but it's in every thing we do, going back to what I said about it being part of our home furnishing identity. Sustainability also took centre stage in the exhibition halls. Attendees would have been hard pushed to miss the Zevo all-electric cargo van, parked on the Bright Drop booth, part of its drive, quite literally, to showcase the latest in last mile delivery technology. This was not a concept of tomorrow. Brightdrop already has vehicles on the road, making deliveries today. So far, Brightdrop has received over 25,000 reservations and letters of intent from some of the world's largest companies, including Walmart, Hertz, FedEx and Verizon. A subsidiary business created by the American manufacturer General Motors in 2021, Brightdrop is a company in the fast lane, on target to reach 1 billion in revenue in 2023. 
it will become one of the fastest companies ever to hit that key milestone. Its journey to transform first and last mile delivery goes way beyond electric vans. With a focus on creating an entire delivery ecosystem for retailers that's smarter, safer and with more efficiency, as its chief commercial officer, Steve Horniak, explained. So we actually started within as an incubator within General Motors and we were spun out to our own company. So what we focus on is the electric light commercial vehicle space as well as micromobility and associated software all in a zero emissions, fully electric manner. So decarbonizing the world, the on-demand world has made life very complicated for delivery companies. Um, so we actually look at optimizing that whole process, simplifying the whole process, and obviously making it a lot cheaper to do it. So our entire platform from an operating perspective is a lot less to operate than a traditional internal combustion engine. FedEx is one of our launch customers. So in addition to Walmart's one of our um, announced customers. So Walmart's looking at vertically integrating. So they're taking it through the whole entire uh, e-commerce process all the way through to delivery. And we're seeing that as a trend with a lot of retailers where they're looking at pulling back some of the value, some of the revenue, some of the margin through the last mile of delivery. Uh, so while they'll continue partnering with the FedEx, FedEx's, UPS's, USPS's, DHL's of the world, um, they are looking at vertically integrating that for customer service, revenue, and margin. And that's where we play in that mode. Uh, in addition to that, we also work with grocers. Uh, Kroger is a, a launch customer with us with our Trace eCart, which is a mechanism that allows you to do in, buy online pickup in-store for your groceries. And it basically allows you to mitigate the whole staging area, which is a tremendous money savings and allows you to have a mobile um, e-hub or mobile lockering system for people to come pick up the groceries after they order them online. So we actually take and where they're, instead of picking into traditional carts, storing them in bags and you having to go get it, they're actually picking directly into this uh, temperature controlled cart. And then that cart goes out into the parking lot in a designated area. Then when you come to pick up your groceries on your app, it'll actually point you to which cart your groceries are in. And then it'll, you can say, I'm here. And then the drawers that your groceries are in will actually automatically unlock and light up so that you can come pick up your groceries yourself. So it's a lot more convenient for you, number one. Number two is it saves the grocers a ton of money in labor for the people that were managing that whole pickup process. Time is money. Um, so when you pull out the whole staging area, that saves a ton of time. And then when you're out actually allowing customers to come in and do a self-service approach versus have employees, that's additional time. So if you think of the amount of time people spend uh, on this entire grocery fulfillment process from buy online, pick up, and store, if you're saving 13 to 30% of that, that's real money for the grocers. It's real money that hits the bottom line. Everyone out there has a plan to go carbon neutral. Upon the sign of some company, you know, some are looking at not buying any additional ICE vehicles starting immediately. Some are saying after 2025, they won't buy any more ICE, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, for the most, they're having targets that by 2030, that they will have all of their new purchases at minimum will be electric vehicles and a significant portion of their existing fleet will be uh, um, uh, electric vehicles. Most fleets will turn over in anywhere from three to eight years. So if you think three to eight year turnover and then and right now they're buying you know a percentage of the new vehicles will be EVs but when they come within a year or two uh, a lot of our customers are looking to go hundred percent EV on all their new purchases. And, and in the last mile 
product and package movement for e-commerce in particular, but the whole product movement and delivery products, it is, the, it is an incredible product market fit because these vehicles are busy during the day. They tend to run anywhere from 100 to 250 miles, which is all within the range of um, electric vehicles. And then overnight they can charge and then get packed in the morning and then off and go do the task again. The other thing is they're bringing the emissions into our backyard, right? So these emissions are being brought to, right to our front door. And I don't know about you, but these things run by my house every day. And a bunch of them, like, like sometimes the same brand coming by two and three and four times. Um, so imagine removing that sound, right, the diesel sound, and imagine removing the emissions from coming next to our homes and having zero tailpipe emissions. It's, it's just tremendous for the environment, tremendous for us in our, in our lifestyle and home and moving that away from where we live. While automation has been a part of retail supply chains for decades, its prevalence has recently increased significantly. Investment from retailers in this area is poised to fuel significant industry growth, with the market expected to double by 2026. I sat down with Autostore Vice President for North America, David Clear, to learn more. One of the reasons we bring these, these robots is to help people visualize, so uh, this does not necessarily automatically translate to an audio medium. But we have a number of our robots uh, operating on a, on, on a miniaturized version of uh, the grids that we deploy within, um, within operational environments. So what we're seeing here is two robots which are uh, demonstrating how they would move stock and goods around the grid in our bins and then deliver to pick stations. And then our customers can get considerably denser storage, so you would reduce your storage footprint by up to four times, and then you have a very accurate and very efficient picking operation at our pick stations where we consistently see people who are picking at three, four X what they would in a, in a manual operation. And so it's always good to bring these things to shows because it certainly grabs people's attention, everything from prospects to uh, people who just like to see robots. The most obvious and urgent challenges that most of our customers have are around challenges of finding and keeping labor and uh, keeping up with ongoing changing consumer expectations and that, 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 that's creating really, um, really difficult challenges for them which technologies like ours can solve. But the other kind of aspect of this because as you've seen there's a lot of technology at the show and we have a very tried and tested solution. We've sold and deployed over a thousand sites. This is a system that is incredibly reliable. You get 99.7% uptime across our network of over a thousand sites. So when you're making these decisions, as you look at new technology, in addition to, you know, can I solve my labor issue? Can I solve my throughput issues? You need to be able to rely on whatever system you put in. And that, that robustness of, of, the, of the core technology that you can depend on uh, for, for your operation is actually probably as important, if not more important, than those than those those, uh, those initial kind of most obvious pain points that people are seeing. In in recent years, we have been doing more in uh, what would be termed micro fulfillment or or dark store uh, applications. So essentially, bringing your supply chain closer to your customer and allowing and and, and being able to fill, fulfill those direct consumer uh, orders. So additional innovations we have uh, at this show. This is, our, um, this is a consumer-facing port, so to allow for kind of a buy online and a direct consumer-facing pickup. And um, so the, the, these tools continue to offer kind of more flexibility to, to specifically to, to retailers. Um, many of our other applications are in DC operations, but with, with, with retail or, or closer to consumer applications, adding functionality like this just gives more and more flexibility for, the, for those retailers and they get more use out of our, our system. It continues to add more of that flexibility both in a business model and again more robustness around some of those labor challenges. So last mile is a cost but equally that can, you can continue to find challenges in, in sourcing that labor. So having 
more options like this with those dark stores. So if I, as a consumer, I have the option of, of, of uh, you know, having something delivered to my door or equally placing my order and going and picking it up myself. So just uh, flexibility really comes back to it. And different consumers want different things, different retailers want different things. So being able to offer that range of solutions really with one core system, uh, I just think continues to open up more and more opportunities for us and for the evolving market. For retailers themselves, supply chain and warehousing challenges have been all-consuming. However, there's a clear recognition that investment in foundational pieces will be key to underpinning improvements in operational efficiency for many years to come. One such retailer on that journey is Virginia-based indoor and outdoor furniture and furnishings company Plough and Hearth. The company's CEO, John Toller, joined us to discuss the dangers of growth outpacing infrastructure and how his business is investing for tomorrow, today. This topic has been brewing within our you know, enterprise for a while now, and I think kind of we knew we needed to make an investment, and then here comes COVID and the other challenges, and it was kind of when we started to do the exploration in terms of uh, you know, automation in the warehouse. I mean, I think the workforce participation problem we have in the United States, um, you can go look at a lot of the data points, you know, I think we've recovered to a pre-pandemic level, but I think in terms of more labor coming into the workforce, I'm, I don't know. We, we think that's going to be tough, the, the near term. From the Plum and Hearth perspective, we do, we focus really on piece picking. We do lots of singles for our direct-to-consumer business uh, or for our fulfillment partners. And we currently do piece picking in two of our four owned distribution centers. And when we were doing this uh, due diligence and process a little over a year ago, we were still in the depths of supply chain, getting enough inventory, getting it unloaded, getting it the right, right. That was kind of all consuming, I think, for all brands and all retailers. We were trying to figure out kind of foundational pieces moving forward. And we, we did that in two ways. I would call it version one or generation one, which was pushing a cart to a bin to select an item to put it into a box, right? And then we had another facility that had lots of conveyor in it, which I would call version 2.0 or generation two, and you know, move the box to the picker versus the pick of the location. We were doing that in another facility and I kind of view robots broadly as kind of version 3.0, essentially picking up the rack and bringing it to the pick station. You bring it to the picker where we were going to see with, in the first case, uh, what the solution we believe can do um, with one pick station would take uh, one worker an entire day. And then I think the other thing is this, it, it scales quickly. It scales much better than, uh, let's call it individuals pushing carts. When we're getting ready for Cyber Monday or Cyber 5, you, know, you have to bring that, you have to deploy that labor weeks in advance to learn the systems to address the peaks, whereas these new tools and systems are much better uh, positioned to, to address those peaks. Retail's Big Show is a great space for meeting like-minded individuals, discussing shared problems and smart collaborative thinking. For retailers seeking to build their brand and engage customers, brand and content collaborations can also drive big results. But what decisions influence the influencer decision when choosing who to partner with? We sat down with Hollister Co Senior Director Brand Strategy and Communications, JC Schoolar, to explore her experiences of what makes a successful brand collaboration. You know, we consciously a couple of years ago moved all of our kind of creator and influencer strategy to this idea of true relationship building symbiotic partnerships 
that you know are more long-term more accretive and we work really really hard to build those relationships and maintain them i would say 90 percent of our collabs create our partnerships and that's everyone from charlie and dixie down to some of our nanos and micros and even our you know we have a high school ambassador program for hollister those are long-term programs that you know, we really kind of celebrate life together with these creators and bring them in and bring them close to us as a brand and um, really form a pretty uh, fun and really wild relationship with them. And, um, you know, Charlie and Dixie are obviously, you know, watching them bloom has been incredible. But um, our high school brand ambassador program, uh, which is you know, across the country here in the States, you know, we find some of them when they're sophomores and we have people who are just getting jobs at our company who were in our very first iteration of that program, which is awesome. And I think there's levels of, of like reactability and being able to pivot uh, that we've baked into our, our process and ways of working, whether that's through our headcount and staffing to leave room for that reactability to, you know, resources and processes that we put in place like Agile for some marketing functions. So, you know, it's important to leave room to adjust to how the consumer is changing, especially on those platforms where like something new is popping every day on social and there's there's different parts of the process and what we do that you know require quicker reaction than others um, we have long lead time frames then we have short lead time frames on things that again we try and build in whether it's through the people or the process or resources against things that allow us to again stay really close to our consumer which is we just keep talking about that i love that the reality is when you stay close to your consumer you understand where they're spending their time and it's on social and it's a handful of other places but um, we really do try and think about how we authentically show up in these places in these platforms where they're naturally spending a lot of their time you have to understand the platform you're using and why you're using it and what you're trying to do by being in that space I think marketing in general, as a marketer, you know, one of the things that not keeps me up at night, but you're constantly thinking about is the options and the places where your consumer is spending their time continues to grow and grow and grow. So, you know, maybe years and years ago, you had a handful of magazines or a handful of channels um, to put your advertising message. Now you have, you know, streaming services and tons of platforms and digital properties and strategies to reach your consumer at the point where um, they're going to do what you are wanting them to do in that moment. I mean, I keep coming back to that consumer, but Gen Z's relationship with conscious capitalism or conscious consumerism is complicated, right? And when you come back to your brand, who you are and your promise to them, what you deliver to them, I would say continuing to deliver that to them in the way they're expecting is really probably the most important thing. They're looking to brands to do the right thing. That's just almost like table stakes. You know, we have the scale and the resources and the ability to change 
the world in their eyes and the narrative in their eyes. And that doesn't always mean that they see that for themselves, right? They're one consumer and they need something fast or they need something affordable or they need something quick, you know? Um, and I think as long as you're transparent and delivering to your consumer um, what they expect from you, then, then you can kind of figure out how to put your best foot forward in terms of like, you know, making a positive social impact. Post-pandemic, it's clear that the same old approaches to training will no longer meet the needs of today's frontline employees. But how can retailers engage their people more effectively and deliver learning that sticks and drives the business results that retailers really need? Joe McCullough, Director of Strategic Accounts at Axonify, explained the importance of investing in intelligent productivity and the advances in frontline learning that are shaping the industry. I think what a lot of retailers noticed across the pandemic was when they had to get key critical communications out to, and, and getting people to adopt new mat, like proper wearing of a mask and how to address someone you know, at a distance and things like that that became apparent and I think it really put a, a microscope on the idea of how they're reaching those people and how they're getting them to change and also in an agile way and very fast, right? So an organization like Exonify where we really drove that, we've got a lot of, I think, increased interest in the how we've reached those audiences and with our, uh, our great clients sharing their stories about how they handled some of this change during the pandemic was a, a positive for us in the light of that got people to, you know, uh, focus in and ask that question, can we do better? On the grocery side, uh, you know, we're working with uh, likes of Kroger and Southeastern Grocers, uh, which are great attendants here today. And then also on the uh, retail side, something like Lowe's and Foot Locker and uh, the likes of Walmart and their distribution centers on that side as well. So uh, lots of great clients across the retail landscape. We're, we are all about the front line and that, that end user, that retail associate. So how do they have the right things top of mind and the confidence to act accordingly with the customer, right, coming into the store? So you think about in a Kroger, you know, helping them with all the variety of, depending upon their role within a Kroger store in the grocery landscape, but like what do they need to know to perform effectively? Is it something they need to know to deliver tremendous customer service or is it uh, information they need to know to recommend a product? All those things are what they're coming here to, to see with us. So, so really at the end of the day, it's about engaging that frontline associate uh, and getting the an opportunity with our technology to make sure they know what to do and what say the right thing and act accordingly on the job. Device uh, and uh, you know access is a huge piece to us. Our approach is really device agnostic. You know we can be accessed on any device that works for that individual's flow of work, if you will. So I think of like a Foot Locker, for example. Uh, they are a BYOD. Like they went, they rolled out a really great policy and a really great. Uh, group of standards around that approach and have tremendous success with associates accessing what they call Exonify, which is lace up. Uh, they lace up on the job and uh, access a lot on their own mobile devices. You have like a Lowe's who, uh, you know, Dave Sansevera is their senior director of learning development. They actually access Exonify on Zebra devices across the store environment as well, which works for them on the, those flows. The pandemic turned omnichannel from a discussion to an imperative. At the same time, it tested established retailer thinking about inventory management like never before. Unsurprisingly, this has led to a rush to invest in warehouse automation solutions. Same Coley, CEO of Grey Orange, explained how automated robots are helping retailers to keep pace with change and be nimbler to handle the peaks in demand ahead. I really think from a robotics and automation point of view for retail fulfillment, right? Uh, we've really had automation more in, you know, like 
the movies I say 20 years ago, but you know, in real life, more in the manufacturing floors, that's where it's been. In fulfillment centers, retail, right? It, there's not been a need for that to be there to be used, right? And it's also because it's new. Most of the brands we've had, we are at their fourth distribution center, fifth distribution center, right? For some, you know, like Fortune 100 companies, we're probably doing 50, 60% of their throughput, right? What that leads to is that, okay, this is reliable, this is gonna work, right? Now, how do we use it to get better, you know, improve the bottom line? How do we give customers a better service level, right? So once you're in that era, we're absolutely having those conversations now. And we are seeing brands actually double down, right? Like if you look on a brand to brand basis, same brand, pre-pandemic was probably sending, spending a dollar a year. In pandemic, it probably went to like $2 a year, right? To where right now at the the five or six dollars a year, right? So it's it's actually just increased in this because especially thanks to robots, you're not signing up for this channel, that channel. You're just basically signing up for a software-driven fulfillment, right? So you're saying, okay, like we can, we're not signing up for one channel. We have the flexibility. So this absolutely makes sense, right? For the long-term, no matter what the long-term is going to be. The concept when most retailers or even us think from the outside, we think robots, we think all of this stuff. It's like, it's almost like infrastructure, building racks, building shelves, right? When you actually walk into a distribution center run with robots, it's, it's like, let's make sure the Wi-Fi runs right, the, the electricity is right, and you know, like it's, it's that. Other than that, uh, the robots are pretty much coexisting with human beings. The advice really is start small, right? Like start with something, easy case, right? So that you get the wins, the change management's good, and then scale it, you know, like, and you can scale it at whatever pace you want to do. The introduction of robots, very similar to introduction of computers in the world, right? Like there is fear and there's all the stuff of like, you know, all the accounting jobs will go away and you know, like all, all that stuff, right? So there is definitely good communication plan is, is absolutely the, the the paramount one. And I would say in today's world, nobody can fill all the open roles. So it's actually even less than reduction. It's like we don't need to hire that many more and lesser pain, but it's really satisfaction going up at these facilities, but you cannot, you know, like underpin the, the over communication bit of it, right? Like doing that in because that's that's probably key. And that brings us to the end of our series of special episodes of the Retail Exchange podcast in association with NRF 2023. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the interview series featuring in-depth interviews with senior retail leaders recorded at NRF 23, as well as episodes from our roundtable discussion series in focus. Be sure to tune in. But for now, I'm Carl McKeever. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thanks for listening.